This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. John chapter 4, and then we also use Psalm 103 to support uh, the, uh, uh, the parts of the scripture we're looking at. John chapter 4, uh, we'll read from verse 21, which is um, the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Remember what the subject is, worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And that's what we've been looking at. So John chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 21 down to verse 24. And this is Jesus speaking to this woman. Remember the context, uh, what happened between her as we are conversing and talking. And she was saying to Jesus, this is how our fathers have worshipped. And Jesus is saying to her, this is what God is looking for. And in verse 21 he says, so Jesus said to her, Woman, he says, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, he says, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He said, you worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship. He said, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that's what we've been looking at and how our hearts Uh, goes out in praise and worship to God in spirit and in truth. He says, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And then verse 24 tells us that God is a spirit. Some translations will say God is spirit, removing the air, because it's not like God is one of the spirits that we have hovering around or floating around. But God is, in essence, spirit. And those who worship him, he says, must worship him, must worship him, in spirit and truth. And Lord, we ask that you bless this reading and as we continue in our understanding of what it means to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we ask that indeed you will open our eyes yet again and our ears and our hearts to receive uh, from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For those that weren't here Uh, last Sunday, just to remind us or to refresh our minds on what we've been uh, looking at uh, on the subject of worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And I reminded us last Sunday because it's so easy for us when we gather together, we come to church, uh, to limit worship to what only happens within the church building or maybe the music of the church. But actually, what Jesus did in this text was to confront this woman and to challenge her understanding of what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, Jesus was trying to get her to see that there is something that God is looking for. He says, God is seeking. In other words, God is actively searching. So true worship doesn't come easy. Like I said, you may have places or buildings with a tag, church, or a worship center attached to it. But the question we should be asking ourselves is, are we true worshippers? Are we true worshippers? And last Sunday, I also reminded us that when we talk about worship, there are two key elements that should be found in every worship for us to say this is real worship. 
There has to be an understanding of who God is. We looked at that extensively. And also, an understanding of who we are in ourselves. We can't talk about worshipping God, either in spirit or in truth, without having to know the God whom we worship. Remember what Jesus Christ said, you worship, but you know not what you worship. So when you talk of worship, we are talking about having an understanding of who God is. Who is God to you? How has God revealed himself in the scriptures? And from what we know in terms of how God has revealed himself in scripture, then he puts it in perspective, then we have an understanding of who we are. If I stand before a holy God and I see my sinfulness, I see my shortcomings, it breaks me, calls me to fall prostrate before that God and my heart goes out in praise to him. And that's what we'll be seeing in Psalm 103 when we get to Psalm 103. Because in Psalm 103, there were two major themes that the psalmist was trying to get us to see. And the first one, we looked at it last Sunday as well, was the greatness of God. As he began from verse 1, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. As we were singing that song, I'm sure that was what you were picking or getting out of those words. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And as we looked also last Sunday, we saw that apart from that theme of the greatness of God, we also saw that he also looked at our need as individuals or our need as Christians or those who will come to God to worship. And like I said, those are two aspects. When you see how great God is, you see how, what your needs are, and then that calls you to come to God in praise and worship. And last Sunday also, I reminded us that when we talk about God's greatness, from what we saw, if you go back to Psalm 103, please, if you can go to Psalm 103 with me, and I'll just highlight a few things. This is just by way of reminder for those uh, that went here last Sunday. In Psalm 103, if you look at from verse 1, where he begins by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all his benefits. And we saw there that God's goodness, of course, comes from his nature. We're not saying that God is good because we don't have any reason to relate to him as a good God. But then the psalmist there gives us the reason why we worship this God whom he says is good. And we looked at the gracious nature of God, what that means to us. We looked at the compassionate nature of God. We saw that God was forgiving. He is sovereign. He's also loving. And those themes were coming out clearly from those texts that we looked at last Sunday. So for you sitting here this morning, all I'm trying to get at is when you come to worship, not just restricted to the building, but everything that we do should encompass worship. Remember the definition of worship that we looked at last Sunday. That worship is simply our hearts and minds and everything about us going out in praise to this God who has done so much for us. And because of what he's done for us, our actions, our attitudes, everything about us now goes out in praise to him who has done so much. And that's what the psalmist in Psalm 103 is trying to get us to see. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, all that is within me. And that's what it covers. Every aspect of your being. Not just the singing that you do in church. It includes your driving, your waking up, your sleeping every aspect of your being. Like I said, it's so easy for us to limit worship to what goes on in a church building. You know, you wake up on a Sunday morning, I'm going to worship. 
And then when you leave the church building, it's as if the worship has ended. But actually, that's not. That worship should continue in everything that you do, in the words that you speak, in the way you relate to people, it should encompass worship. And so we saw that extensively last Sunday. So this morning, what we'll be looking at today is to also see that when we talk about God's goodness, we talk about the benefits that we have received from this God. Last week, what, the, what we saw was that God was not just good to us in terms of his gracious, his compassionate, his forgiving, his sovereign, his loving. We saw all that. But now what we want to do is to look at what God's goodness means to us as a group of people. And what the psalmist is trying to get us to see is that when we talk about God's goodness here, it means that we have received abundant benefits from this, our God. Because all these come together to add to a heart of worship. Like I said, you cannot worship without understanding that first key element, who God is. And this is all that the psalmist is saying. This is who he is. We are not just worshiping his holy name, but we understand that God's goodness also tells us that we have received abundant benefits from this God. And let's look at some of the benefits that we received from him this morning. Look at verse 3b in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, verse 3 there, it says there, Who forgives all your iniquities? We looked at forgiveness last Sunday. But there it says, the B part of it, Who heals all your diseases? Who heals all your diseases? And so David there goes on to mention healing. And I think in this context, it points to every aspect of healing. When we talk about healing, we're not just talking about spiritual healing. Healing covers both spiritual, emotional, and physical. Because sometimes what we do is we concentrate only on our bodies. And so when I pray to God and my body has not been healed and I've still got pain in my body, I, seem to, I tend to forget the goodness of God. But healing comes in different ways. Spiritual healing from the curse of sin. Not just spiritual healing, but also emotional healing. And Sam, the psalmist is saying here to us, that is one great benefit that you and I, we have received from the Lord. But healing, we know, is a very um, touchy subject. Because when you talk about healing, maybe some of you might sit in here today looking at me and saying, well, I don't think I have received that benefit from God. There hasn't been any healing taking place in my life. I haven't seen physical healing. I haven't seen spiritual healing, nor even maybe you might say you haven't seen or experienced emotional healing. But take note of this. David isn't promising that God will heal every physical ailment that we have. And this is the balance that we need to strike. Yes, we know that God revealed himself in scripture as a healer. But we're not saying that every single ailment that God will or is going to do it. Yes, God heals. God is a healer. But when you go to the scriptures, you see that balance. That even sometimes there were men in the Bible whom died of natural causes and they were sick unto death. And it was time for them to go home. So we need to put this in perspective. Yes, God heals. He's a healer. He's revealed himself as the God who heals us. But at the same time, the scripture is not saying, saying to us that for every physical ailment, for everything and every time, in every place, that healing or physical healing of our bodies always 
will take place. Because we all know that we live in a fallen world. The effects of sin is still around us. But there will be a day when we'll experience ultimate healing. And that is the day we come to see Jesus face to face. And the Bible says all tears will be taken away. All sickness will go. And all of that will vanish. And that's when we'll be with him forever and ever. So what the psalmist is simply saying by talking about healing as a benefit. He's simply affirming that when healing takes place. Whatever method that healing comes to us, it comes from the Lord. When you go to your doctor and the doctor gives you whatever prescription and you take it and you come home and maybe you're feeling better, that is God at work in your life. Because sometimes it's so easy for us to divulge faith from these natural ways of healing that we even have. Or maybe you've prayed to God and you experience release in your spirit. That is healing taking place in your life. Or maybe you've cried unto God. And you're expecting an instantaneous miraculous healing and that has not happened. But maybe God is healing gradually and gently and bringing restoration to your body and to your soul. The psalmist is saying to us that is what God does for us. And it is a great benefit. The God who is my healer. In our Bible studies we've been looking at the names through which God has revealed himself. And one of those great names that he's revealed himself is that he is the God that heals us. The God that heals us. So if I know him as a God that heals, it calls for praise in my heart. It calls me to come to him and worship him, not just as a God who has revealed himself as a God who saves, but also as a God who can heal me of both the spiritual, the physical, and also the emotional ailments that I do have. If you look at our society today, you can see that the problem when we talk about healing is not so much as of just physical there are people who are emotionally broken. There are families that need healing in those families. And when we say healing, we're not just saying physical bodies, cancer getting healed, but when you look at it, spiritual healing, you can see the effects and the curse of sin still evident in those homes. And the psalmist is saying to us, one of the benefits of this God is that when God comes into this picture, God brings healing. In whatever form or shape that healing takes, God is your healer look at the second benefit that we have from god and i think as we are looking at all this benefit this should help you to see or get a picture of who god is look at verse 4a there and the psalmist then says in verse 4 it says who redeems your life from destruction so what we are looking at there is deliverance who redeems your life from, this, from, from destruction? In fact, some translations will say, who redeems your life from the pit? And all he's trying to get us to see is that the pit or destruction in this instance means the grave. Because every one of us, we have sinned against God. And we are subject to death. Remember what the scripture says, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal through his son Jesus Christ. And so redemption in this instance, we are talking about buying back something. To redeem simply means to pay the price of release. And this is what God did through his son Jesus Christ. He paid that price. His son went to the cross, died for you, died for me, died for the sins of the world so that we can be reconciled back to him. So redemption is very important. It's a benefit. When you think about it, you couldn't pay the price. I couldn't pay the price. You will never be able to pay the price. And that was why it was necessary 
for God to send his only begotten son. And that's why the song we were singing this morning, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. We are talking about so great a love that will make a father send his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. And I'm sure that as you think of those words, what he did for you on the cross, your heart goes out in praise to him. For some, tears well up in their eyes. When you see how serious sin is in the scripture and the remedy that God had brought, and that is redemption, deliverance from sin, and the psalmist is saying that is a great benefit. I sing and I rejoice to know that the sting of death has been taken away. I rejoice and I can look at death in the face and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? And for everyone that knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is what we can say. We are not afraid of death. If you're here this morning and you're still afraid to die, I'll ask you to look again on the inside. Have you known Jesus, that Jesus who has conquered death and the grave? Remember on that day, the Bible tells us that he went to the grave, but death and the grave could not hold him. And on the third day, the Bible says that he rose up victorious and he seated at the right hand of the Father. Who redeems your life from the grave or from uh, the pit? Look at verse 5 again, and I love this one because it just tells you, gives you an understanding of who God is. In verse 5, and this goes to say, who satisfies your mouth with good things? Who satisfies your mouth with good things? He says, so that your youth is renewed as the eagles. So not just are we talking about deliverance from death, but we're also talking about what God can do for us in terms of now, the life that we have now. He satisfies our years or our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And the psalmist is reminding us of the material blessings. When you talk about satisfying your mouth, he's just saying that apart from God healing, God delivering you, there are things even now in the physical that God can still do for you. Think about everything that you have. What is it that you have that you have not received from him? And sometimes it's so easy to forget. That's why he says, forget not all his benefits. Sometimes God begins to bless us. We begin to get rich or maybe things begin to happen all around us and we forget the benefits and the blessings. To forget things, to say that God, I recognize you as the giver of all things. And that's why the psalmist is saying, it is God who does this. He satisfies your mouth with good things. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, when you come to the scripture, the eagles are usually always a picture of strength. And when you see the eagle soaring high in the sky, it just paints a picture of how God, even in old age, strengthens us and renews us so that we can do the things that he's called us to do. Go with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And this is a lovely scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. If you look at Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 31, it might come up on the screen. It says in verse 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord... He says, shall renew, look at that, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagles. And this is exactly what the psalmist have just said. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, isn't that great to know? That when I come to God, when I wait upon him, this is what he does for me. He renews my strength. I will walk and I will not faint. I will run and I will not go weary. 
So if that is happening to you or if that isn't happening to you, then it's time for you to begin to look inwards and ask yourself questions. Do I know this God who not only delivers, but do I know him as a God who satisfies me with things of the present and gives me strength for today that carries me even into tomorrow? If you go to the book of 2 Corinthians, another great scripture, I'm just going to read that to you. You see Paul saying something very, very important in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. And this is one of the reasons why Paul said that we have to keep our eyes on the God who is invisible, who we cannot see. Look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says there, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet, it says, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And this is reinforcing what we have in the book of Isaiah and also what the psalmist said, that even though the outward man is perishing, I mean, if you're old and if you're getting old or getting into your 60s, 70s, 80s, going down to 90s, I don't need to explain to you, you don't need a Greek translation of what this perishing means. You understand what happens to the body. The body gets weaker. You know that you're not as vibrant and as strong as you used to be when you were 18 or 19 or 20. But Paul is saying, even if our outward man is perishing, though things are happening on the outside, he said, this is what God is doing. Our inward man is being renewed day by day. And that's why physically, you may be old and weak, but on the inside, your spirit is as strong as ever. And that is what God does for us. And that's why with God, there, is, there are new things with him every day. When you come before him, your strength is constantly being renewed. When you come before him, just as the eagles mount up with strength, God is saying, I can also do the same thing to you. And the interesting thing is that you don't have to pay anything for all of these blessings that the psalmist is speaking about. David is saying, just focus on God, on who God is, how God has blessed you, and that should call for a heart of worship. There are people who find it difficult to worship God. And what I always do remind them is, think about what God has done. Think about the benefits. If you're finding it difficult to give God thanks, why not sit down for a second or for a few minutes and reflect on the benefits, the healings, the deliverance, what you couldn't pay for what God has done for you, the renewal of strength, when your outward man is perishing, but on the inside, God is making you as strong as ever. And all this should call us to worship that God in spirit and in truth. But like I said, that's not the end of it. The psalmist then goes forward to remind us again, because like I said, there are two themes coming through in our understanding of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. One, like I said, it's an understanding of who God is, and we've seen the benefits and all that come through God. And the second aspect is our need as individuals. Those two come together. Because you can't separate the life of the worshiper from the God whom he is worshiping. And that's why when Jesus spoke to that woman at the well, Jesus had to remind her, you have a need, there is something that you need. And Jesus said, I am that Messiah. That woman needed salvation, she needed to be saved. And there Jesus was standing behind, beside her or in front of her as God's own very revelation, the word in the flesh. And so in this psalm also, David does the same thing. This is a revelation of God. And so this should call for authentic, heartfelt worship. 
But at the same time, not just that have you seen what God can do for you as an individual, but he's saying, think also about your need, the great need that you have. Because sometimes we can come to God and we act like we don't have any need. Or maybe we're all dressed up in the morning, you know, good makeup and good clothes and all that, and we all see it, and you wonder, do these people ever have, do they actually have a need in their lives? But when you look inwards, God knows that we all do have a need. And the psalmist did not hesitate in reminding us of what those needs are. And I think we need to look at it as well, because this will deepen our understanding of what we are looking at in terms of worshipping God in spirit and in truth. In truth, we are talking about worship having content. There must be something in our worship that commends it to God. And the first thing that the psalmist highlights as our need, which calls for true worship as well. If you look at verse 3 there, he says, Who forgives all your iniquities in Psalm 103? Who forgives all your iniquities? And this is a reminder that we are sinful. Because sometimes it's easy to forget that that's who we are. And that is our great need. We are sinful. Look at verse 4. It says, Who redeems your life from destruction, the effect of sin, Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Why should he be talking about anger? Being slow to it. That's because we deserve the wrath. And sometimes we do things, we go against the commandments of God. So this is like a reminder of our need of a Savior. Of our need to know this God. Look at verse 10. And there he says it. He says, he has not dealt with us. According to our sins. Do you see that? This is a reminder again. And this is when you, when you come to acknowledge or to recognize that we are sinful by nature. It tells you that when you stand before a holy God, you cannot but fall before him. When you see his holiness and you compare that to your sinfulness, no matter how you try to please God in yourself, as the Bible says, our righteousness is nothing but a filthy rag before him. And this is what the psalmist is getting us to see. Sometimes, some Christians, I've heard people say this, you know, when, when you give your life to Christ, yes, you're no longer a sinner, you've become a saint, and so you don't have to see yourself as a sinner anymore, but you're a saint. Yes, we understand that. The Bible tells us, calls us saints, but the reality is that we are saints, no doubt about it, but do we, that, do we still have that capacity to go against a holy God? And that is why when you come to him, yes, he has saved you and delivered you. But at the same time, remember your sinfulness. Remember that it doesn't take much for you to sin against that God. Because when you stand before him and you see his great holiness for who God is, all of a sudden your shortcomings are exposed. And that's why when you come before him, there is no place for being proud. Remember the Pharisee who stood before him before in the temple. And he looked at the man and said, I'm not like one of those i pay my tithes self-righteousness i give all my offerings i fast all the time and there are people like that they come to church and that's how they commend themselves to god but when you look at god's greatness and you look at your shortcomings what happens is that you fall down in humility you can look at him and say i don't even deserve to look up to you but i know that because of what you've done for me on the cross of calvary because of your blood that was shed for me I can come before you. And so the psalmist is saying, we all, we are sinful. When we think of God's mercies in the light of our sinfulness, that's when we begin to appreciate grace. When you think of destruction that was waiting for you 
and you see what God did to deliver you from destruction, your heart goes out in praise to him. And also, not just our sinfulness in terms of our need, but he also talks about the shortness or the frailty of our lives. Look at verse 15 and verse 16 of Psalm 103. And there, this is, I see this as a great need that we all have. And look at verse 15. He said, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. He said, for the wind passes over it and is gone. Now you wonder why is the psalmist reminding us of the flower of the field? Why is he comparing our lives with the grass and the flower that fades? This is to show you your great need. I am not going to live forever. You are not going to live forever. No matter what we do in ourselves, thinking that we can live forever, the only time that is possible, if we acknowledge there is a God, through whom we can receive eternal life. And the psalmist is saying here, in our physical lives, we do have a great need. And this is something that most great people, even in our world today, fail to see. I remember we were in the cafe, that was either on Tuesday, and I think um, Dave asked a young man and said to him, on the last day, do you ever think of standing before God and giving account of your life? And the man looked at him and said, stand where? He said, I'm not going to be standing anywhere because I'll be facing right face down in my grave. So I'll be dead and gone. And there's nothing to it. And that's how he views life. They've seemed to have forgotten the frailty of life, the shortness of our lives, that we are not going to live forever. The life comes and the life goes. God is a giver of life. And God will take that life. When you recognize that great need and you come before God, I'm sure you will worship him in a different way. I'm sure that will call for dependence on that God who has come to give you life and life everlasting. And that's why when Jesus Christ came, what did Jesus say? He said, I am come that you may have life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And it's so great to look at God and thank Him for the life that I have in Him. Though I live for 50, 40 years, or how long that we have here on earth, we can look up to God and say, that is nothing compared to the time and eternity that we'll spend with Him forever and ever. And the psalmist is saying, that is your need. And the final need there that the psalmist brings out to us in terms of who we are in ourselves and our shortcomings, he talks about we being sick. Look at verse 3, back to verse 3b again. He says there, and this is linking this up with how short-lived our lives can be. If you look at verse 3 again, where he says, who forgives all your iniquities, and he talks about who heals all your diseases. When you think about diseases, it's also a reminder of our need. Because the truth is that we are still we are subject right in this life, in our bodies, subject to the effects of the fall. Yes, we know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and the grave, defeated the enemy, but the truth is, we still die. We are still subject to the physical effects of the fall. We will still labor and toil. And the psalmist is saying, when you think about it, today you might have a good health and you're healthy and everything is going on well with you, but can you guarantee that that will be in the next 20 or 30 or even 40 years when your body begins to fail and your strength begins to go? 
But there is a God who he says heals all your diseases. But when you talk about disease and talk about healing, the psalmist is saying it's also a reminder of that great need that we have. So when I look at my need as a Christian, sinfulness, it calls me to appreciate God's grace and mercy. When I think about the weaknesses of my body, the frailties, it calls me to depend on Him. When I think about how short-lived life can be, then I'll think and look up to Him who has come to give me life eternal. And I think that that changes how we approach God in worship. An understanding of not just who He is, but also an understanding of our great need. When those two come together, and you lift up your heart in worship, or when you leave this place, and in everything you do, you have that understanding. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is great. Now, I myself, I am sinful. I am subject to the effects of sin. I am short-lived in this life. What is the solution? The solution is that I've got a God who can satisfy all those shortcomings. And you can see how your heart will never stop praising and glorifying that God. And my prayer is that as we all sitting here this morning, we'll come to not just appreciate God's greatness so much that when we think about our shortcomings, it will drive us to go back to that God who can satisfy every longing of our spirit. I'll close with this scripture in the book of Second Corinthians. And this is a scripture I want you to take home with you. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, if you look at what Paul says in Second Corinthians, Chapter 12, and look at verse 10 of 2 uh, Corinthians. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, rather, not chapter 10, chapter 12 and verse 10. That's where I was going. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. He says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Paul always had it in view. His need, his weaknesses. He said, I take pleasure in infirmities. He said, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. He says, for Christ's sake. And look at the next verse, that, the next phrase. That's where I'm going to. He says, for when I am weak. You see that? He says, then I am strong. When I understand my weaknesses, when I understand my shortcomings, when I understand who I am in myself. He says, that's when I am strong. How does he become strong? He doesn't become strong that all of a sudden that strength comes right into his spirit. No, that's because he puts God, the greatness of God, right before him. So he sees that and in comparison to his weaknesses, to the shortcomings, to his needs, to the persecution, to the distresses that he's gone through. It is nothing in comparison. And that is what we need to say to ourselves. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I see my need of a savior, I run to him. When I see how short-lived life can be, it calls me to look back to that God who can give me life eternal. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dinglemount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.